Perfect. Good morning. We have another full house today, and I love it. We have some new faces, and it was good to meet you guys, and we're happy that you're here uh, to worship God with us. Um, and so for those of you who don't know, uh, this week, uh, Thursday, is Valentine's Day. Uh, just a friendly reminder for you gentlemen out there who are just as prone to forget as I would be, Valentine's Day is this Thursday. There you go. Um, and I know of at least a couple of people at this church that aren't really a big fan of Valentine's Day. Raise your hand if you're not really the biggest fan of Valentine's Day. Oh boy, that, that was more people than I was anticipating for those who don't enjoy Valentine's Day. Well, I have good news for you. We are going to start service off just telling a couple Valentine's Day jokes to maybe lighten the mood a bit and maybe it can make you appreciate Valentine's Day just a tad more maybe. So the first joke I have this morning is, what did one flame say to the other on Valentine's Day? We're a perfect match. <laughs> all right, all right. A woman was taking a nap on Valentine's Day afternoon. After she awoke, she told her husband, I just dreamed that you gave me a gorgeous and expensive diamond necklace. What does this mean? And the husband said, Oh, you'll, you'll see tonight. And so later that evening, her husband came home with a small box, and he presented it to his wife. And the wife was thrilled, and she opened it, and inside was a book entitled The Meaning of Dreams. <laughs> uh, this, this is for you farmers out there. What do farmers give their wives for Valentine's Day? Hogs and kisses. <laughs> All right, what did one or say to the other? Can I interest you in a little romance? <laughs> All right, one more, one more. <laughs> uh, so it's starting to click for some people. There we go. All right, last one. There was a lady in an office who just got engaged and was getting ready to get married. And a coworker offered some advice. And this coworker said, you know, the first 10 years of marriage are just, they're really the hardest. And the lady asked, well, how long have you been married? And the coworker replied, 10 years. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. If not, maybe I didn't hit quite my goal. <laughs> well, anyways, on that note, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we just thank you so much uh, for this day. Uh, we just thank you for the great gift of humor. Uh, we know uh, we were created in your image, so we hope you can get a kick out of those jokes as well, Father. And uh, I just ask that you uh, be with me this morning and speak through me uh, so that they may be your words that are spoken and not mine. And Father, also, I just pray that you be with each and everybody here uh, in this uh, sanctuary and those who may be listening in the future, that you open their mind, their eyes, their hearts, their ears to your word and so that they can be receptive to what you want delivered this morning. And we thank you and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So last week, uh, we started a series entitled Relationship Status. There we go. Yes, and I mentioned I wasn't much of an artist, but I, I composed this beautiful piece of digitalized art. And there you go. So there's that. Relationship Status is what we started last week. And last week, uh, we talked about our relationship with ourself. And we have all the reason to love ourselves, 
Because one, God created a very good creation. He said it himself in Genesis 1. He created a very good creation, and you are part of that very good creation. And on top of that, on top of being a part of God's very good creation, you are the masterpiece to God's very good creation. Furthermore, you're created in the image of the almighty creator of the heavens and the earth. You're created in the image of God. That gives you power and value and worth. And finally, you are a child of God. That is reason for you to love yourself so that you can truly have a healthy love for yourself. We talked about the importance of loving yourself because it's impossible. It's impossible to love others if you don't love yourself. We did the the Mountain Dew illustration last week with Mark and Trevor. And I gave Trevor a full can of Mountain Dew because I had Mountain Dew myself to give to Trevor. But I gave Mark an empty can of Mountain Dew because I didn't have any Mountain Dew myself to give Mark. And the same, same goes with love. If we don't have any love for ourselves, then we can't give love. You can't give what you don't have. So it's so important that you learn to love yourself. And now this week, uh, we're going to be talking about another very important relationship in your life. We're going to be talking about your relationship status with others. Now, our relationship with others is extremely important. And this principle of others, our relationship with with each other, is very important. And 163 times in the Bible, the phrase, one another, occurs. Throughout the whole Bible, throughout all of God's word, we could see how we are to relate with one another. And we're just going to take a brief glance this morning in how we are to relate to one another. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up uh, to the book of Mark. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark chapter 12, verse 28 and 34 is what we'll be reading this morning. And again, this is kind of like our theme passage for the series. And if you have your Bibles, uh, we strongly encourage you to open it up to the scripture um, as get you into a good habit of reading from your own Bible. And you can see all the verses at once. There will be the... Verses will be up there on the projector, but we do encourage you uh, to bring your own Bibles and open it up in uh, your own word. And if you don't have a Bible, let us know. Let me or Mark or Brian or any of the elders or any of the leaders of the church, and we would be thrilled to help you out there if you don't have a Bible. Just let us know. So in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 and 34, it reads, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked them, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher, you have truly said that. He is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength. And to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that, he answered wisely. He said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. 
So again, what's taking place here is that there's these group of Jews. And again, these Jews did not get along very well with Jesus. And this group of Jews, they didn't like Jesus, so they were trying to stump Jesus with two questions. And so the Pharisees and the Sadducees, two different groups of Jews, tried to stump Jesus with the question. And Jesus responded brilliantly, and, and he puzzled them with his response. And so this other scribe came along, and he heard Jesus' great response. And so out of the sincerity of his heart, he asked Jesus, what is the single most important commandment in all the world? Now, there are 613 commandments in the Old Testament. That's a lot of commandments to go through. That's a loaded question for Jesus to answer. But the scribe asked, what's the single most important commandment in the whole world? And Jesus responds, well, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind with all your strength but what's interesting to me is that Jesus doesn't just stop there Jesus sufficiently answered the scribes question there the scribe asked what is the single most important commandment in the whole world and Jesus answered it right there it's to love God basically love God that is the single most important commandment and again that's what we're going to be talking about next week is our relationship with God but Jesus doesn't stop after asking the scribes question Jesus continues and says, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the scribe asked just for one, what is the single most greatest commandment? But Jesus, he, he had to include the second greatest commandment. He thought that the second greatest commandment went perfectly with the greatest commandment. So although the scribe didn't even ask for the second greatest commandment, Jesus, what are the two greatest commandments? No, he asked, what is the single greatest commandment? But Jesus had to include the second greatest commandment because it was so important to him. And again, that second most important commandment in all the world is to love your neighbors as yourself. And we talked about last week how we are supposed to have a deep biblical foundation of the love for ourselves. We have reason to love ourselves. And so we need to love our neighbors. Now, in the Greek language, uh, there are four different words for love, and they each convey a different meaning. And why I'm talking about Greek, that may seem odd to some of you, Greek is what was originally uh, written in the New Testament, all the way from Matthew to Revelation, the last part of your Bible, that was all originally written in Greek. And then just later along, some people translate it into all the different translations that we have today, like English for us. But in the Greek language, they have four different words for love. In the English language, we only have one word for love. And and that's kind of a shame because that one word love conveys a number of different meanings. For example, like I say, I love God and I love pizza. That's, That's a shame. That's a shame that we use the same word to describe our affection for God as we used to describe our affection and love for pizza. That That just doesn't seem right to me. Or another example is, I love Jamie, and I love Mark. No, Mark, I do not love you like I love Jamie. I don't go home, I don't go home from work getting excited to kiss you like I do getting excited to kiss Jamie. No, not at all. <laughs> there are different meanings of love in the English language. But in the Greek, they nailed it. They have four different words uh, for love that we translate as love in the English language. And we're going to go over those four different words. And so the first uh, Greek word is phileo. That is a brotherly 
love. And he can remember that because Philadelphia is known as the what? Does anybody know? City of brotherly love. There you go. Smart people here. So yes, phileo is the brotherly love. It is the love that is called out of one's heart as response to the pleasure one takes in a person or object. Phileo is the love that responds to kindness, appreciation, or love. It involves giving as well as receiving. But when it is greatly strained, it can collapse in a crisis. So here, phileo is a brotherly love. You have both, you give and take, and it's, it's, a, it's a good love. But when it's under immense stress, it, it, it can collapse. The, the love can go away. The next love that we have here is storge. It is more of like a natural affection. It's the love that uh, you have for a family member or a pet. It's a love that's just kind of naturally there. We don't really have some great reason to explain it, but it's just naturally there, a natural affection we have towards our family members or our pets. And this love, it is a quiet, abiding feeling within a man that rests on something close to him and that he feels good about. And so again, it, it describes like a love, a natural affection that we have for a family member or a pet or whatever it may be. Now the third type of love in the Greek language is eros. And this is the erotic uh, type of love. This is the love that I feel towards Jamie and fortunately not Mark. <laughs> and so eros, it is a love of passion. And though eros is directed towards another, it actually has self in mind. For example, I love you because you make me happy. This type of love is founded on the characteristics and the other person which pleases you. If those characteristics cease to exist, the reason for love would be gone. The result being, I don't love you anymore. So here, this love is based on what pleases us about another person. I have this type of love towards Jamie because there's certain parts of a character that pleases me. But if those characteristics of her were to cease to be, then that, this Eros kind of love would no longer be. So in a sense, it's kind of a selfish love. And finally, the fourth Greek word for love is agape. And this is uh, an unconditional love. It's the most noble word for love in the Greek language. It's described in the New Testament as the type of love that God has for us. Now, agape love is not kindled by the merit or worth of its object, but it originates in its own God-given nature. And this love keeps on loving even when the loved one is unresponsive, unkind, unlovable, and unworthy. It is unconditional love. All right, so there are the four different types of love in the Greek language. And we see in verse 31, it says, of uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 31, it says, the second is this, talking about the second greatest commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we're going to play a little guessing game. Which of the four Greek words do you think was used here for the word love? Do you think it was phileo? Do you think it was stor phileo, which is like a brotherly love? Storge, which is like our natural affection. Eros, which is like the, an erotic love, a passionate love. Or agape, which is an unconditional love. All right. So raise your hand if you think phileo is the word described here. Don't, don't be shy. Raise your hand. It's, you, you do, yes. Yes, a couple people out there think phileo, a, brother, a brotherly love. Yes, we think of Philadelphia. Yes, the city of brotherly love. So we got a couple people who think the word there is phileo, which is a brotherly love. How many of you guys think it's a, the word is storge, like a natural affection? You know, we, have a nat, we should have a natural affection to, 
to our neighbors as we do to our family members or a pet. We, we got a couple there as well. Now, how many of you guys think it's arrows? Love of passion. Yeah, I, I didn't anticipate too many people would think that was the Greek word there. And I, I'll spoil it. You guys are right on. That, that is not the Greek word used there. We are not to erotically love our neighbors. Not all neighbors. You should probably stick to one. <laughs> and the last Greek word is agape. How many of you guys think the, the word love there is the Greek word agape, which is an unconditional love? Raise your hand. All right, we, we, got, we got some more there. Now, when I was, I didn't really have a firm understanding of the four different uh, Greek words for love, and so I had to do some research, and I was kind of expecting uh, the Greek word here to be phileo, like a brotherly love and affection. That seems like an admirable trait, but it's not phileo. I'm sorry for those of you guessed, that was my guess too, so we, we can be wrong together. That's all right. But the actual Greek word there is agape. Agape, it is an unconditional love. So we can read in verse 31, when it says the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, we can read it to mean that the second is this, you shall unconditionally love your neighbor as yourself. Now this is important, we are called to not just have a brotherly love for our neighbors, but we're called to have an unconditional love for our neighbors. And that's not just talking about like your next door neighbors or the neighbors down the street. This is a word uh, used to describe just people who you come in contact with. In other words, everybody else. You are to love everybody with an unconditional love. Now what does it mean to have an unconditional love? We can throw out that word, that term unconditional and it seems fancy and it seems great to have an unconditional love. But what does it really mean to have an unconditional love for our neighbors? Well, that means in no circumstance in the world are we to not love others. Or in other words, in every single circumstance, every single circumstance in the world, we are to love others. And so you can go ahead and say that you are to love everybody at all times. That is an unconditional love to love everybody, everybody, not excluding anybody at all times, 24-7 loving everybody. That is an unconditional love. A conditional love is, well, if you do A, B, and C, then I'll love you. No, we're called to an unconditional love. No matter what you do, no matter what our neighbors do, no matter what others do, we will love you. We are commanded to have and unconditional love. That's the second greatest commandment. Out of all the 613 commandments in the Old Testament, Jesus picked out this exact commandment. And it's founded, and he didn't just come up this out of nowhere. It's founded in Leviticus 19, 18. We're not going to go ahead and open up there because it, it just says, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you don't trust me, you can go ahead and flip to Leviticus 19, 18. Check it after the service. But Jesus got it from there. It's biblical. You are to love your neighbor as yourself. Unconditionally love your neighbor as yourself. That means if even if somebody calls you a name, or if even if somebody caused you harm, or someone caused a loved one of yours harm, or someone doesn't go to church, or someone doesn't like you or love you or like another one of your loved ones, or someone is living a life of sin, you are commanded to unconditionally love them. No matter what 
others have done to you, you are commanded to unconditionally love them. You need to love everybody at all times. Now this is so hard. This is so hard to do at times. We all, we all had that people in our lives who are just very difficult to love. And I had someone uh, close to me who I, who I was very close to and looked up to, and uh, they, they turned away from God. And it was the hardest thing in the world for me to love on that person. I was just filled with anger and grief. And why in the world would you do such a foolish thing? And it was the hardest thing in the world for me to love that person. But I'm commanded. I'm commanded. the second greatest command to love that person. And unconditional love is loving everybody at all times. It's not a conditional love. And now just a quick disclaimer as well. Uh, many people uh, falsely associate love as tolerance. Love does not equal tolerance. If someone in the faith is living a life of sin, do you, do you think it's loving to just uh, be okay with it and accept their behavior and be tolerant of their behavior? No, not at all. We talked a bit about this in Sunday school. If you saw someone about to get hit by a bus, would you just be go, all right, that's okay. You just stand there. I, I don't want to mess with your business. No, you shove them out of the way. That's, that's the loving thing to do. So again, I'm not, I don't really want to talk about this this morning, but I just need to let you guys know that love does not equal tolerance. But again, that's not really what I want to get into this morning. We're commanded to unconditionally love everybody. Everybody. That includes both our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, fellow Christians, and that includes those outside of our faith. And we'll talk about the two of them this morning. And to start off, we'll talk about loving our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of John. It's just two, two books later, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John chapter 13. And we're just going to read two verses, verses 34 and 35. But to give you guys some background as to what is going on here, um, the, this is the night before Jesus was crucified on the cross. The night before Jesus died on the cross for our sins, the disciples, the 12 disciples in Christ, they sat down together as what's known as the Lord's Supper. We celebrate this with our communion. The bread represents his body and the, and the cup represents his blood. It's, it's the Lord's Supper. So they were sitting down together, Jesus and his 12 disciples. And these 12 disciples were sitting around and talking, having a good time, just enjoying their last moments with Christ when Christ revealed that they had a traitor among themselves. They had a traitor, someone they worked together for three years, someone they journeyed together for three years, someone they went hungry with, someone, someone who they ate with for three years, someone who they shared the gospel with, someone who they were, were learning from Jesus for three years, someone who followed Jesus constantly for three years. These people stuck together. They were tight-knit group. They were brothers in Christ for three years. They did everything together. And here they are at the end right before Christ is about to get crucified, and they learn that one of them, Judas, is a traitor. He betrayed Christ. What well, an awful thing is happening. And so Christ here, he responds to this, this bad thing happening to this traitor. We skip down to verse 34. And Christ states, A new commandment I give to you. And now he's talking to his disciples here. His, 12, or his 11 disciples now. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another, just as I have loved you. 
you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so again here, uh, Christ is just talking to his close group of disciples. And he's saying, listen guys, if you love one another, if you love the disciples sitting around the table with you, then they will know, then all people will know that you are my disciple. So for us, that's, that's us in this church. If we look around this room and we're talking about loving uh, the, the people in this church, if we truly have an unconditional love for those in this church, then they will know, all people will know that we are Christ's disciples. We are Christ's disciples if we love one another. This is, this is a way that we advertise Christ. And now Christ advertises God as Christ is the image of God. And if we advertise Christ, who is the image of God, then we advertise God, in a sense. We advertise God to others by expressing our love to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. That is a great way in which we can advertise, show out the name of God, show out the name of Christ, as if we have love for one another. And again, the word love here, it's, it's the word agape. It's an unconditional love. If we are to unconditionally, in every single circumstance, if we love our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, then all people will know that we are Christ's disciples. Unconditionally. Now, sometimes you are going to be wronged. You're going to be wronged by your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. But you're called to love them regardless. You're going to get wrong. You're going to get hurt, even from your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ at times. But you are called to unconditionally love them regardless. You're commanded to. That is a direct disobedience if you don't unconditionally love others, which includes your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And what I love about this is Jesus doesn't just say to love one another. And again, this, this is the night before Jesus was to die on the cross for our sins, for his disciples' sins. And he, and he states in verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. How? Just as I have loved you. Here the night before Christ was about to die for their sins, he says, love each other just as I have loved you. Love others just as I have loved you. I'm about to die for your sins, disciples, but come on. Love each other just as I have loved you. We are to do the same thing. This is a calling for us. Christ is commanding us to love our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ just as Christ has loved us. And Christ gave up his life for us, for our sins. That's how much Christ loved us. And Christ called us to love each other just as much as he loved us. That, that is such a high calling that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ to love one another just as Christ has loved us. Now I want you to take a moment and look around the room. I want to see everybody's heads turning and look around the room. These are the people that you're called to un conditionally love just as Christ loved you Christ loves you and you're called to unconditionally love them just like Christ loved you these are the people that you need to love unconditionally and if you do so if you do so then all people know that we are Christ's disciples 
I love it. I love it. And for people who are coming to this church and they know immediately based off the, the unconditional love that we have for one another, that we are Christ's disciples. We are a church here to serve God and serve Christ. I would love to be a church like that. Can I get an amen? That is what we're called to do. That is what we are commanded to do, to unconditionally love our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. But now when, when Christ commands us in Mark chapter 12, what we read earlier, when he commands us to love our neighbors, that includes uh, those outside of our faith as well. And if you go ahead and, and open to the book of Matthew with me, which is just three books beforehand, the book before Mark, Matt, we're going to spend some time here in the Gospels, Gospels known as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to read from Matthew uh, chapter 25, uh, starting in verse 31. And so here we see in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, Jesus is painting a picture, an illustration. And Jesus Christ states, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the, from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and he gave me food. I was thirsty and he gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. So here in this picture that Christ is, is uh, demonstrating, painting, is on, on the judgment day, uh, known as the great white throne, Christ is going to separate people into two groups. He's going to separate the sheep and the goats. The sheep on his right and the goats on the left. That, those are figurative terms. Some people refer, are referred to as a sheep and a group of people are referred to as the ghosts. And he's going to say to those on his right, the sheep, he says, you guys are going to inherit the kingdom of God. You are going to have a never-ending celebration with God himself. You are going to have the time of your life. You have inherited it. And why? Because when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you came and visited me. When I was in prison, you came to me. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me in. That is why you inherit the kingdom. And then the, the people respond in verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? So here, these people on the right, who Christ said that you have inherited the kingdom because you have done all this good to me. I was naked and he clothed me. I was hungry and he fed me and etc. And the, these people go, Christ, what, what, what are you talking about, man? I, I never once saw you hungry. I never once saw you thirsty. I never once clothed you as you were ill-clothed. I, I didn't do any of this for you. What, what are you talking about, Jesus? And in verse 40, we see, and the king will answer them, the king being Christ, Jesus Christ. Truly, I say it to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So here Christ says, whatever you do for one of the least of these, you do it for me. So whenever you see somebody out there who is hungry, who is thirsty, who is ill-clothed, who is sick, who's in prison, 
who's a stranger, and you meet their needs, you meet their needs with care and love, Christ says that you're not only doing it for them, but you're doing it for him. You're doing it for Christ. Whenever you meet a need of someone else, whenever you express your love unto someone else, you are doing it for Christ himself. You are doing it for Christ himself. Not only are you serving the need of the person right there, but you're doing it for Christ himself. And you'll inherit the kingdom and have a never-ending celebration in God's coming kingdom here on this earth. And now the story doesn't end there either. In, in verse 41, we, we, we still have the goats over here. We have the people on the left side of Christ as they separated, the sheep and the goats. The sheep, I mean, they, they took care of the people. They, they provided for their needs. They loved them. And when they did that, they did it for Christ himself. But these goats over here, you guys will represent my goats. I'm sorry you have to represent the goats today. Hopefully just today, though. And so in verse 41, Jesus continues his illustration, his, his picture here. He says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison? And did not minister to you. Then he will answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So here again, Jesus separates the sheep on the right and the goats on, on the left. And the sheep did what they were supposed to do. They cared and loved for God's people for, for the people of the world. They, they provide for the, their needs, and Christ said, you did it for me, myself. But then the goats on the left, they didn't. They saw someone hungry, and they, and they turned a blind eye. They saw someone thirsty, and they didn't provide a drink. They saw someone, a stranger, and didn't welcome in. They saw someone was sick, and they didn't go to visit them, or in prison, and didn't go to visit them. And Christ said, you did not only do it to them, but you didn't do it for me either. When you neglected the needs, when you neglected to love on my people, you neglected to love me. And Christ said the future that's put forth for the goats on the left is that there's an eternal fire prepared for you where you'll, you, you'll burn up and you'll be no more. It'll be an eternal punishment. And we, we don't want that. We don't want that. I, I, I don't like preaching about, I don't like scaring people and preaching about the, the, the lake of fire, whatever. I love talking about the kingdom and talking about rewards. We don't want that. So we need to love one another. How? Unconditionally. We need to unconditionally love one another whether it be your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ or whether it be those outside of this faith, you need to love everybody at all times. It's not just a calling you have in your life, but you're commanded to. You're commanded to. Christ singled it out as the second single greatest commandment in all the world is to love your neighbor unconditionally. No matter what someone has done to you, you are called to love them unconditionally. Unconditionally. 
Now, some of you may be sitting here and thinking, boy, that, that, that's, that's a hard task that you ask me to do here is to love unconditionally because we all have those people in our life. Every one of us experience where we have people in our lives that are just so hard to love on. We all have those people who are so hard to love on. And maybe you've made that decision in your mind that, you know what, these people don't deserve my love. And you know what, a lot of them probably don't deserve your love. A lot of people don't deserve your love. But let me tell you, Christ and God, they loved you. And guess what? You did not deserve it. You do not deserve a single ounce of their love. But guess what? They love you unconditionally. God loves you unconditionally, which means no matter what you do, he loves you. He wants you to turn to him. He wants you to serve the people uh, around you. He wants you to love your neighbor unconditionally because God loves you no matter what you do. He loves you unconditionally. And you are called to do the same thing. You are not, you are not uh, qualified or whatever to receive God's love. And some people might not, de- you won't deserve to receive God's love and you may feel that some people don't deserve your love. And I'm telling you the truth. Some people really don't deserve your love. But guess what? It doesn't matter. You're called to unconditionally love them. You're, call, you're commanded to love them unconditionally. So if you have that person in mind that's so hard to love, it's my hope and prayer that you, that you can work on that. That you can unconditionally Love your neighbor as yourself, unconditionally. And if we do this as a church, if we love each other unconditionally, just as Christ loved us, just as we weren't deserving to receive the love that Christ showed for us as he died on the cross for our sins, if we show that same kind of love to our brothers and sisters and to those around us, those outside the faith, people will know that we are Christ's disciples. They'll want to be a part of, of the club that we're in, the family that we're in, the body that we're in, the body of Christ, the family of God, they'll want to be a part of that if we have an unconditional love for people, for others. So when we talk about our relationship status with others, it's my plea to you, my plea to you and Christ's command to you to love others unconditionally. Love others unconditionally. Let's pray. Father God, uh, we just uh, come before you uh, with thankful hearts. uh, Although we did not deserve a single ounce of your love, Father, you've bestowed that love upon each and every one of us. You showed us that love through the cross and sending your perfect son, Christ, to die for our sins. You love us unconditionally. And Father, it's, it's my prayer this morning that we together as your family, as a body of your son, Christ, that we can come together and love others unconditionally. That we can love your people, whether it be in the church or outside of the church. Father, we, 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 we need your help we need your guidance on how to love others conditionally because, because, Father, you know it's hard for us. It's hard to love unconditionally. But I just pray that, that you light a fire in us, that you give us the will, the desire to love everybody at all times, to love unconditionally.
And Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for the gift of your son. And it's in that son's name, Christ, that we pray. Amen.